1: All right, now back in making his fourth appearance with me. Like I said a moment ago, a guy who's become a wonderful friend of the show this year, and that's Hal Sutton. It has been an incredible privilege getting to know Hal over the last several months. I want to remind you about just how amazing his career has been. He played his college golf at Centenary College, where he was named the 1980 College Golf Player of the Year. During his time there, he won 14 times. He was a two-time All-American and led Centenary to the NCAA Tournament. He was a two-time Trans-American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He won the 1980 U.S. Amateur Championship 9-8 and 8 over Bob Lewis, turned pro in 1981, got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1982 at the Walt Disney World Classic in a playoff over Bill Britton, and that year he was named the Tour's Rookie of the Year. 1983, he was named the PGA Player of the Year after winning the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship. Fast forward to 1998, he won the Tour Championship here in Atlanta in a playoff over Vijay Singh. 2000, he won the Players' Championship for a second time by one stroke over Tiger Woods. How captained the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team. Over the course of his career, he's won 14 times, finished second 18 times, and has 135 top 10s and 239 top 25s. And like I said, I'm very thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey Hal, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Thanks, Chris. It's always a pleasure being on.
1: So Hal, I, I want to talk about some of the things that uh, you've been putting out on Twitter over the last several months, and it's sort of like you let us inside your mind, and you've shared some heartfelt emotions and experiences. It's like you've got a lot of things inside of you that you want to get out. What led you to opening up the way you have been?
2: Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but you know, I grew up with a dad that tried to do everything he could to help me become, uh, the best player that I could become. And he had a certain vision of that. And, uh, you know, he worked me pretty hard to, uh, help get me to achieve, uh, the goals that I had set and that he had set. Uh, you know, he he would say I set the goals, but uh, they were largely uh, we came to them together. And you know, a, a young person, a child, or a young man or a young woman, uh, we don't know what we want, and you know, so parents kind of help us decide that. And a lot of times, it's kind of what they want for us, and so. With all that in mind, I started tweeting out there some of the things that I felt. Uh, I was looking at it both from a child-like standpoint as well as a parent's standpoint. And, you know, uh, I do feel like uh, many, many parents, including my dad early on, uh, you know, the love was performance-based. And... You know, my dad loved me. I know he loves me. He'll soon be 88. And, uh, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I know my dad loves me. But, boy, I got the impression a long time ago when I was a young person trying to make a name for myself in this game that he loved me more the better I played. And I thought, you know, I don't want children to feel that way. I want them to know that they're deserving and that they're loved no matter what they shoot that their identity doesn't come from how they play. Uh, It doesn't define them, uh, good or bad. So I started tweeting about it.
1: And Hal, you're a a wonderful teacher of the game now. You've got a wonderful academy down there in Houston. Uh, You spend a lot of time with junior players. Um, In the same sort of vein, are you seeing – Uh, parents kind of do the same thing that you said you felt from your father. Are you seeing parents that are overly um, critical of their kids and putting extra pressure on them when, uh, whether they're, you know, at at a lesson with you or you're out playing, uh, you know, at your local golf course, that sort of thing. Are you seeing a lot of that still?
2: Well, I have seen some of that. And if we see any of that, we see too much of it. You know, you know, I played the game early on because I loved it. And then, you know, I started to get better at the game. And my dad watched me do that. And he thought, well, hal has got a future at this. So we started pushing to get better. And you get caught up in the vacuum of that. And yes, I've seen plenty of people doing that. And, you know, I just, I want to encourage all parents and kids out there, remember that you're father and mother, son and daughter first, you're parent of a golfer second, you're the child of, I mean, a golfer to parents second too, you know. I just, I, I see a lot of that, and, and I want them to remember that they always got to put their feet underneath their parents' uh, mm-hmm. table at Thanksgiving and, you, parents, you always want your child to come home at Thanksgiving,
1: and how one of the things that that you recently tweeted out was that every young player needs someone with good eyes and good knowledge to help them. What do you mean what do you mean by good eyes? What does that mean for you?
2: Well, I think you've got to see through everything. It's not you know a good golfer not only has a good golf swing, he's got a lot of other things that make him the person or her the person that they are as a player and you know to me the best people that i ever had involved in my golf game were the people that saw the whole golfer not just the golfer's swing or or any other uh, aspect of the game you got to see the whole picture and you know i want someone that cares about me and loves me and is thinking about me when i'm not there it's easy to think about somebody when they're right before your eyes but when you're thinking about someone when you're when they're not there, how do I help them get better? What do they need that they're not getting right now? Uh, that's someone that really cares about your the outcome.
1: So, and I know you've talked about your father, but when you turned pro, or even when you were in college, was there someone there kind of watching out for you that wasn't your father, or do you wish you you know you had that? So that's why you want to try to do that for some of your young players now.
2: Well, no, my college coach, Floyd Horgan, uh, was very instrumental in me achieving a lot of the success that I had. I worked with Floyd throughout most of my career, to be honest with you, and uh, he was the guy that I always knew that cared, and I worked with other people. You know, Floyd was never, uh, he didn't, he wanted me to gain knowledge. He wanted me to work with other people. He took me to see Jimmy Ballard early on. You know, he said, we need to learn what other people know too. And, you know, he didn't limit me, in other words. And, uh, you know, his confidence in doing that let me know that he was secure. And uh, he was, he was the guy I always went back to.
1: And how when you came out on tour, again, with, with all of the expectations and all of the great things that you achieved in your college career and College Player of the Year and the U.S. Amateur Champion and all that sort of thing. I have to imagine you had people coming at you from every which direction, whether it was equipment companies, sponsors, you know, people wanting to get in your pockets and all that sort of thing. How did you decide who to trust and who not to trust?
2: well it was uh it wasn't easy, and you know that's where parents kind of kick in you know they they have their opinions as well and uh you know uh, I think it's harder today than it ever has been you know you there's so many reasons for people to be involved and uh you know one of the things that I try to tell the young people that we work with now is hey, You need to develop the team around you that you feel secure and you trust and go with them. You know, as you begin to get better, there will be hot names out there that people think, you know, maybe you should go see what they think. And the truth of the matter is they don't have as much time for you. You need to work with someone that has time, that has spent time, that will continue to spend time. Like I said before, the person that's thinking about you when you're not there. You know, to me, that was always Floyd. Uh, I knew he cared about me. I knew he wanted the best for me. He'd proven that through a long period of time. And that's why I continue to go back to it. And, you know, he's, uh, I think Floyd is 82 or three years old now, and he and I are still good friends. We talk often, and we talk golf still, you know. What do you think about this, Floyd? And I don't have any reason to work on my game, really. So I still talk to him about golf.
1: So talk to you, talk to us about your decisions about what golf clubs to play, what golf balls to play. How'd you go about deciding? And how would you lead, you know, one of your young students now, if if uh, he or she is the hot kid coming out of college, about you know which clubs to play, which golf balls to play. How would you lead them?
2: Well, it's different now than it was whenever I was growing up. You know, uh, when I was growing up, there were two or three manufacturers that kind of stood out over others that were committed to perfection. Uh, You know, in my case, I felt like the Hogan Company was when it came to the golf club, and, of course, Titleist was when it came to the ball. Uh, Now the gap has been closed among a whole lot of the manufacturers. Um, you know, you mentioned TaylorMade, they make a great product. Callaway makes a great product. Tideless makes a great product. Uh, Ping makes a great... I mean, so many do. And, you know, so then it boils down to what do you like to look at and who services you the best. And, uh, you know, and of course if you're really good and you're on the tour, I guess money plays into it. But, you know, i I really don't think selling your soul to the devil, so to speak, uh, is a good idea. I think if you really believe you're good and you can continue to be good, then there will always be money there for you to play equipment. Uh, Play the equipment that you know you can be the best because that's what makes you feel good about you. And there's been plenty of people that signed contracts for money with product that they hadn't proved that they could play with yet. And they failed with it and consequently went through some tough times because of it.
1: And how you've had some advice for people that are working on their golf swings about not evaluating every single shot, which to me translates into you got to be patient if you're going to make a swing change. Is that what you meant by that?
2: That's exactly what I meant by that. You know, um, we live in a world of instant gratification. people. Because you can pull up something on Google on your phone and get the information immediately. That's kind of the way they expect the world to be treating them. And, and to be honest with you, golf is nothing like that. It comes slowly. It takes a long time to make changes. And uh, so many of the kids that come in, you know, they'll hit a shot. What do you think? After every swing, what do you think? What do you think? And you know, you can't do golf that way. You, I mean. You you have to hit shots. You have to feel the shot. You have to not expect every shot to be perfect when you're making a change. I mean, even when you've made the change, every shot is not going to be perfect. And swing changes take time. And I, I would impose on many people out there to take your time. Uh, you don't have to hit it hard all the time. Go slow. Swing in it slow so you can feel the whole swing. The harder we swing at it, the more it accentuates whatever you do wrong. So uh, be patient.
1: And, Hal, you you said not that long ago on Twitter that if you had your career to do over again, you'd learn to hit it hard first and straight later, which is, you know, if I go back to when I learned the game, that's sort of the opposite of how I was taught. And I'm assuming that's the opposite of how you were taught. I was always told to let the club do the work. Swing easier, swing smoother. Talk about how you do it differently now.
2: Well, the reason why I was a product of my my environment, I grew up on a a shorter, tighter golf course. And I had to learn to work the ball, which I did. And, uh, you know, we had wooden clubs back in those days, and they were very small heads compared to what – I mean, we've got – utility clubs that have heads the size of what what our driver heads were in those days. So, you know, control was big, and uh, I didn't try to hit it hard. I tried to hit it straight. And, you know, now we have a different environment that kids are growing up in. Golf courses are real long. Uh, We have drivers that allow us to do this. And, you know, you have to – it's a learned skill to swing at it hard, to swing fast, and I would—that's the way I would learn. If I were, if I had to set out on a career today as a young man or a young woman, I'd hit it uh, hard first, straight second. You can always learn to hit it straight. You can always—and honestly, I'm not so sure how, whether straight's really that important. I look at the stats today. I watch the tournaments. You know, I, they're hitting out of the rough a lot. Yeah, I mean, if I'd spent that much time in the rough, I can guarantee I wouldn't have made money in my day.
1: <laughs> Talking about the course you grew up on, how you set the course record when you were 16 years old. You shot 64. Talk about, you know, why that course being shorter but tighter and then being able to go low helped you actually make it, um, you make some really good scores. How did that, how did that influence your ability to go low?
2: Well, recently I've been talking about that to young people. You know, shooting low is a mindset. You've got to believe that you have that in you. Well, how do you how do you even start to believe that you have that in you? You've got to go low sometimes. And you know, if you play a really hard golf course that's really long, that's you know maybe a a bigger golf course than you ought to be shooting. You know, shooting par would be a good score. Well, par's not going to get anything done later on in life. And so, you know, I encourage kids if they're struggling to to uh, go low, I say, move up a tee. Um, sometimes if they're younger, I'll say move up to the ladies' tee until you can actually go real low. I want, some people aren't comfortable going low. They get, you know, two or three, four under par, and they're like, oh, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm about to shoot my personal best and they get uncomfortable. They make double bogeys and things like that. And I want kids to get used to being good. I want them to expect to be able to finish the score. That's what it's going to take later on if they want to become a professional. So they've got to get started early doing it.
1: So to that end, Hal, that's that's a good point because I know if I'm playing really, really well and I've got a hole or two to go, I'll never forget not that long ago, um, I, I had my career best sort of kind of insight, and uh, all I had to do was was make par on the last hole to uh, to shoot below 80, and then made double on the last hole. Talk about how you know our mind gets ahead of ourselves, or we start to tense up when we think, you know, hey, I'm playing really well here. All I got to do is keep playing the way I'm playing. But then we get in our own way, and the next thing you know, we mess out, we
2: blow it. Well, you know. We've all heard this a thousand times or more. You know, play one shot at a time. That's all you can play. You can't play the one you just hit. You can't play the one you're about to hit. All you can are the one after this one. All you can do is play the shot that you have at hand. Play it to the best of your ability. As soon as you've hit it, forget it and move on to the next shot. You know, when you start to play well and you're not comfortable shooting low scores, you get way ahead of it. And you think, I mean, I've, I've actually, you know, early on in my career, I thought about winning before I had, you know, I had four or five holes to go. And obviously I didn't get to lift the trophy because I was thinking about the wrong thing. And I still had four or five holes to go. These are all things that players have to learn how to cope with, deal with, and, you know, put it bay so that they can finish around the golf. And, you know, it's it's, It's tough to learn how to be good. And, you know, you're working as hard as you can. Your parents want to see you do it. Everybody's wanting to help. And everybody's rowing the boat at a different speed. And if you think about it, if we got five people rowing, six people rowing the boat and everybody's doing it at a different speed, the boat's not going to go straight forward. So, you know, having your team, working together at the same speed with the same expectations is what every young man or woman needs in whatever athletic endeavor they're undertaking.
1: How you mentioned the size of drivers a moment ago, and you and Ian Poulter have talked about driver loft, and perhaps the USGA should require the loft to be no lower than eight degrees. What would that do?
2: well, you know, I saw Ian say that and I thought, well, that's a, that's probably one of the things that could be done. But I have, you know, probably the greatest thing that anybody could do would be to put uh, more spin in the ball because it would make the ball curve more. It would make it, uh, it, it would do a lot of things that would change the game. But honestly, I don't know how you control what's going on right now. I think we're in an environment where distance is uh, of utmost importance. You know, I tweeted something the other day that uh putting is not nearly as sexy, so to speak, as driving the ball, and one of the reasons why is you can't define the putting like you can distance it's a measurable thing that we can see how much gain we've gotten out of it, and you know because of that. Uh, it's something that everybody's chasing because you can measure it uh you can't measure how much better someone is putting it's it's uh it's a gray area you know you, you know when you're putting better as a player you know when you're making more putts that count, but it's not as definable as as getting longer off the team. So take that a
1: step further, because one of the things you tweeted was, you know, you better make sure your putter is your best friend. And right in in, in a world right now where we're all thinking driver and distance, why does your putter need to be your best friend?
2: Well, you got to close the deal. (laughs) And I can tell you right now, uh, what's going to close the deal on every tournament that's ever played going forward is going to be a hole in the putt. That is the 72nd hole. That's what's going to happen on the 72nd hole. And all the holes prior to that. you got to finish the hole. And it's always going to be making a putt. So, you know, you better live with your putter. You better make sure you can uh, count on it. Hal, just a
1: couple of more before I let you go. And as we all look ahead uh, to the Masters here in a couple of weeks, do you expect it? Brian DeChambeau, speaking of distance, is going to be the guy, I mean, he's going to be hitting bombs off the tee and short irons into these greens. What do you expect to see from him and really from a, a November master, something we've never seen before?
2: Well, I tell you, I, I'm not sure anybody can predict what's about to happen. Uh, the golf tournament, first of all, is going to look a lot different than it's ever had. Sure, it'll still be green because they use rye grass there, but uh, uh, no crowd that's going to make the golf course look completely different. Uh, you know, it's missing the frame. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what I'm saying when I say that, but as a professional golfer, and especially at Augusta, you go there, and the, there's a frame around every picture. Uh, the gallery formed the frame of the hole so that it was easy to see where you needed to go. It's not going to be as defined this time. Um, and, you know, the weather is going to be a big factor. You know, who knows what the weather is going to be in Augusta uh, in the first week of November. So uh, I'm excited to watch it. I have no earthly idea who's going to win it. Uh, Bryson obviously has got everybody looking at what he's doing. I mean, that's how much distance means. You know, the manufacturers have made it uh, uh, distant and everybody's watching. Uh, Bryson stands out because he's chasing it so hard, and he's made such an advancement in it in in his own personal game. So uh, I'll be like everybody else. I'll be anxious to see what happens.
1: Hal, our mutual friend Donnie Hammond tweeted out that you were very entertaining during rain delays. What are some of your favorite stories or what are some of the things you used to do during a rain delay to entertain uh, all the rest of the
2: players. Well, I don't I don't know exactly what Donnie meant by that, but there was always something going on that uh, I, I guess we all found of interest, you know, and I would get everybody worked up about it. I'd start talking about it. You know, we used to talk about uh, lessons we'd get, you know, and I used to tell the first time I ever went to see Harvey Penick, you know, that was the first lesson I ever took was from Harvey Penick. And it was always fun because I would be animated and tell the story. I told a lot of Jackie Bird stories about lessons that he gave me, you know. And these are personalities in the game. And I would, uh, I'd try to, you know, inflict their personality into the story and, and tried to make it funny. Uh, we were just passing time. And, uh, you know, I missed those days. You know, we had a great time. Uh, we traveled all around the world together like gypsies, uh, trying to beat each other. And, uh, you know, there'll never be any more of that for Donnie or myself, but, uh, you know, we still have the memory of it. How, before I let you
1: go, remind everyone about the great facility you have down there in Houston now, plus. If they can't be in Houston, they can't come into the to the uh, studio. How they can get a video lesson from you by going on your website?
2: Well, it's House Sutton Golf. We're real close to. I mean, I mentioned Jackie Burke. I'm right around the corner, from Champions in Houston, and uh, you know, I opened an indoor golf facility myself and Chase Cooper, who are, I think is one of the top young teachers in the country right now, and Will Paulsell, who's a great left-handed player. Uh, Just the three of us are in there teaching, and uh, uh, there's a lot of knowledge in the building and a lot of technology, and if you go to Hal Sutton Golf, uh, you can book a lesson or book an online lesson, either one.
1: And Hal, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with you on social media and catch all the great tweets that you've been putting out.
2: Well, uh, I'm on Twitter all the time, Hal Sutton, so... I try to get on there at least once or twice a day, so, and I try to talk about stuff that's really important to people in their golf game. You know, I'm not on there just uh, throwing down what I'm doing at the time. You know, I I really try to make it pertinent to other people in life. So, uh, just my my inner hard thoughts.
1: Well, Hal, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I always enjoy getting to spend time with you. I'm already looking forward to the next time. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon.
2: Be glad to do it, Chris. Always look forward to it. You know, one thing I'm going to say before I get off here, I don't know anybody that cares about other people as much as you did, Chris. On social media and everywhere else, you're always promoting everybody else instead of yourself. And that is a genuine person. Thank you for what you did. Well, I appreciate that very
1: much, Hal. Thank you. Take care, my friends. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up again
2: soon. Okay, Chris. Thanks.
1: See you, Hal. That's a great Hal Sutton, folks. And uh, HalSuttonGolf.com is his website. Uh, You have an opportunity. I mean, how often do you get an opportunity to interact and actually get lessons, whether it's in person or it's over video? From a guy who is as decorated as Hal is—83 PGA champion, two-time Players champion, 14 wins—guy should be in the in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Oh, by the way, with uh, with that resume, so um, just a wonderful, genuine person. And I can't uh, tell you enough. At Hal Sutton Golf is where you can find him on Twitter. Check out his Twitter feed. The guy just puts out great stuff time and time again, and you can tell it's coming straight from his heart. So
0: look forward to catching up with Hal again real soon. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com/save. That's worthybonds.com/save
3: and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacey Ellis, man I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family owned and operated business. was founded on and that's why jim ellis has been around for over 50 years enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership visit jim ellis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout metro atlanta jim ellis automotive where you can always expect the best
0: spring is here and baseball is back you can't forget the derby i love the hats